Lesson 1 of The Elements of Anatomy and Physiology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dale Latham. The Elements of Anatomy and Physiology by William Rushenberger. Lesson 1. General Notions on Natural History lesson one the natural sciences and their divisions definition of zoology general knowledge necessary to its successful study the structure of animals and enumeration of their principal organs classification of the functions of animals the natural sciences have for their object the study of those beings the assemblage of which compose the universe the study is divided into many distinct branches, but these branches are all so linked one to another as to afford a mutual support. The different branches of the natural sciences are physics, chemistry, astronomy, meteorology, and natural history. The name physics is given to that science which embraces the consideration of the general properties of matter which studies the motions of bodies as well as heat light electricity and attraction and which applies the knowledge thus acquired to the explanation of the great phenomena of nature chemistry has for its object the knowledge of the intimate composition of bodies and the various combinations which may be made from them it teaches us what are the forming elements of different bodies and how these elements by combining in various ways may give rise to other bodies and enables us to understand the properties of all these substances natural history taken in its most general acceptation should include the study of the form of the structure and of the mode of existence of all the bodies of nature individually considered but by common consent the domain of this science is more limited, and all that has not a direct relation to the physical history of our globe and the beings spread over its surface is excluded. Consequently, it does not embrace the study of the stars, nor the meteors, nor even the air which surrounds our globe, or, in other words, it comprises neither astronomy nor meteorology. Astronomy if we may so express ourselves, is the natural history of the celestial bodies. By the assistance of observation and calculation, it applies the general laws of physics to the study of the phenomena which the celestial bodies present, and thus determines their form, their volume, the distance which they are separated from our globe as well as from each other, and the movements which they perform in space meteorology is in some measure the natural history of the atmosphere it inquires the origin of thunder of rain of hail of the dew and falling of meteoric stones aerolites and of the various meteors which appear in the heavens natural history properly so called we repeat extends its domain over the structure of our globe and over all of the beings found upon its surface these beings are separated into three groups or kingdoms the mineral kingdom the vegetable kingdom and the animal kingdom in this way natural history is divided into three branches 
the natural history of minerals and that of the terrestrial globe which is formed of them bears the name mineralogy or geology the natural history of plants is called botany the natural history of animals is termed zoology it is the last of these which is to occupy our attention at present the study of animals as well as the study of plants is subdivided into three principal branches according as they are considered in respect to first the characteristics which distinguish them from one another the climate they dwell in their habits and second the internal structures of their bodies third the play of their organs and the manner in which they respectively produce the various phenomena of life these three branches of natural history of animals and of plants constitute three sciences which are known under names of zoology or when plants are referred to descriptive botany anatomy and physiology anatomy treats of the internal conformation of living beings it studies them by the aid of dissection and acquaints us with the position the form and the structure of their organs inasmuch as it embraces the consideration of either animals or plants it constitutes two distinct sciences zoological anatomy and vegetable anatomy physiology is the science of life it teaches the use of different organs and in the manner in which these act to produce the different phenomena that is visible qualities proper to living beings like anatomy it may have for its domain either the animal or vegetable kingdom and it is consequently divided into animal physiology and vegetable physiology it is easy to understand that without the aid of anatomy and physiology the profound study of natural history would be impossible when we wish to obtain an exact idea of a watch we do not limit ourselves to observing its exterior form and to noticing the manner in which the hands turn we open it we examine every wheel every chain every spring we would separate them one by one and study the relations which they have to each other and we would seek to understand their use afterwards we should again put together all the pieces and by re-establishing their mutual relations restore what we had taken from them that is their movements and their play now what the watchmaker does to obtain exact knowledge of a watch the naturalist does as far as he is capable to study an animal or plant by dissection he examines the interior of its body separates the different organs determines their relations and studies their form and nature then he observes their play during life and by making experiments becomes acquainted with their uses unfortunately the naturalist cannot do all the watchmaker does he can destroy but he cannot reconstruct what he has deranged and restore movement to organs which he has separated to study their structure nevertheless by anatomical investigation observation of the vital phenomenon and by physiological experiments he ascertains the mechanism of these complicated machines and succeeds in satisfying ardent curiosity which is one of the characteristic traits of superior intelligence
no study can be more grand or more interesting in revealing what is extraordinary in animal organization it leaves us filled with admiration at the sight of this infinite this most astonishing work of the creator considered in their mechanical relation alone the bodies of the animals present us examples of complication and perfection to which our best constructed and most perfect machines do not approach here we find without number models of ingenious contrivances of which the most successful labors of the architect or optician have produced but imperfect copies but these are the least of the wonders which the animal economy offers us the forces which put into action all the material springs of our body are regulated and combined with the wisdom which is far beyond human science and the more we contemplate the play of our organs and the faculties with which they are endowed the more we feel the necessity of recurring to the superior intelligence who has created this admirable production and who has placed in it a principle of existence and of movement to study with profit the particular history of different animals it is necessary as we see to possess some general notions of their anatomy and physiology and it is this preliminary knowledge which is to engage our attention in the first of our course of the general composition of animal bodies and the functions performed by their different organs all living beings are formed of the union of solid and of liquid parts the solid parts are composed of small fibers and little plates so arranged as to contain the liquid parts in spaces left between them they thus form textures or tissues of various kinds and we give the name of organization to the disposition which these tissues assume organized bodies that is bodies having an organization or mode of structure which we have just indicated are the only living beings because their internal conformation is necessary to the maintenance of life therefore non-organized or inorganic bodies as stones and metals are incapable of living the different phenomena by which life manifests itself are always the result of the action of some part of the living body and these parts which may be regarded as so many instruments are called organs thus an animal cannot move without the action of certain organs called muscles or attain a knowledge of that which surrounds him except by the intervention of the organs of sense when several organs concur to produce the same phenomenon the assemblage of instruments is termed an apparatus we say for example the apparatus of locomotion to designate the assemblage of organs which serve to transfer an animal from one place to another and the apparatus of digestion to designate the assemblage of organs by the assistance of which the animals digest its food the action of one of these organs or of one of these apparatus or the use of which they are designed is called a function we say therefore function of locomotion 
to designate the action of all of the parts of the apparatus of locomotion. The function of digestion to designate the action of the different parts which constitute the digestive apparatus, and functions of the stomach, functions of the intestines, functions of the teeth, and etc., to designate the uses of these different organs. With man, as well as with all quadrupeds, birds, and a majority of other animals, the organs and the functions which the latter exercise are very various. Considered individually, the body of the majority of animals is divided into three principal portions, the head, the trunk, and the members, or extremities. The head, which is not found with all animals, oysters for instance, is subdivided into two parts, the cranium, or skull, and the face. The trunk is composed also of two parts, the chest, or thorax, and the belly, or abdomen. In most of the animals at present referred to, the members exist in double pairs and are distinguished as superior or thoracic and posterior or abdominal or inferior members or extremities. Certain animals, such as the whale, have only a single pair. Others, such as serpents, have none at all, and others again have a considerable number. Insects have three pairs of feet. Spiders, four pairs. Crabs and lobsters, five pairs. The woodlouse, or palmer, seven pairs. And certain worms have as many as five hundred pairs. In all of these animals, the body is enveloped on all sides in a resisting membrane, endowed with sensibility, which is termed the skin. It is secured from the inside, and its general form is determined by the solid frame, composed of a number of bones called a skeleton, frontispiece. Farther on, we shall enumerate these bones, speak of their names in various forms. The skeleton does not exist with all animals. Oysters and snails, for example, are without it. And with others again, such as lobsters, the skin acquires an extreme hardness and answers in place of the bony frame. But with all mammiferous animals, birds, reptiles, and fishes, there exists a skeleton arranged in a manner analogous to that of man. Between this internal frame and the skin, or external envelope, are found the muscles which constitute what is commonly called flesh, whose function is to produce, by their contractions, all the motions which the animal performs. Between these muscles are placed the vessels which carry the blood to different points in the body, and the nerves which give sensibility. Within the head, and in the trunk we find also other parts. The face presents several cavities, which serve to lodge the organs of sight, of smell, and of taste. The cranium or skull is a sort of bony box, the interior of which is filled by one of the most important organs of the body, the brain, which is continued downward in a thick, whitish cord called the spinal marrow. It descends along the neck and communicates with the principal nerves of the body. On cutting through the ribs and opening the bony cage, 
which anatomists call the thorax, and which we commonly call the chest or breast, we find the heart and lungs. A fleshy partition, the diaphragm, separates the chest from the belly or abdomen, and in this latter cavity are contained the stomach, the intestines, the liver, the spleen, and many other organs of less importance. These different organs fulfill very various functions, some such as the mouth, the teeth, the stomach, the intestines, and the liver serve digestion. Others, such as the lungs, are designed for respiration. Others again, the heart, for example, distribute to all the organs matter necessary for their nourishment, and there are others again, the use of which is to enable us to appreciate tastes and smells, to hear sounds, to see what surrounds us, to feel what touches us, and to transport us from place to place. These functions, in spite of their diversity, tend to two principal objects, and are consequently divided into two classes. The object of one class of functions is the preservation of life of the individual, and are therefore denominated functions of nutrition. The others place the animal in relation with all that surrounds him, and consequently are called functions of relation. The functions of nutrition, as their name implies, all serve in imparting nutrition to the animal, either by separating nutritive matter from the productions of the earth, by modifying the matter, and by reducing it to a fluid or juice, fit to be admitted into the organs, or, finally, by conveying into the substance or the organs this nourishing fluid which by its combinations ensures their maintenance and favors their growth. Consequently, digestion, respiration, and the circulation of the blood belong to this class of functions. The functions of relation are all those which place the animal in relation with the other beings of nature. They are principally the faculties of feeling in different ways and of moving by the aid of these functions, the animal is enabled to appreciate the form, the color, and the position of objects surrounding him, to hear the sounds which they make, to advance towards or retire from them. In a word, they serve to establish between him and the external world a variety of relations which are as numerous as they are useful. The functions of nutrition are indispensable to the maintenance of life and they are found in greater or less number in all living or organized beings, and for this reason they are called the functions of organic life or functions of vegetative life. The functions of relation, on the contrary, do not exist in all living beings. Plants have them not. Animals alone possess them, but in losing them they do not necessarily cease to live. During a part of their existence, they do not exercise them, and this state of repose, or the functions of relation, constitutes sleep. In consequence of these functions, being peculiar to animals, they are also called the functions of animal life. It is now very easy to state, in a few words, the most important differences which exist between vegetables and animals. 
vegetables are being constituted for living with the power of nourishing and reproducing themselves. Animals are beings which conformation enables them to live, to be nourished, to reproduce themselves, to feel, and to move. The reader will now easily comprehend the differences between organized beings, as plant and animals, and inorganic bodies, as rocks and minerals, which do not possess the power of nourishing and reproducing themselves. The first and most important effects of living organization. For without these effects, death would speedily leave the earth destitute of both animals and plants. We shall first consider those functions which belong to the vegetative life, and which have nutrition for their object. End. Lesson 1